Hi, everyone. I'm your host, Sean Lee Davis, and this is Our Future Nature, a podcast spotlighting the best and most exciting solutions for a more sustainable world. In this season of the podcast, we'll be speaking to advocates, change makers, entrepreneurs, and scientists about global, environmental, and social issues and how we can go about solving them. Today, my guest is Francisca Troutman, otherwise known as EcoFran or The Sand Girl on TikTok. She's been featured in publications like The Guardian and The Independent for her efforts to recycle glass into sand. While she was a senior at Tulane University, Francisca combined her passion for the environment and her background in engineering to launch Glass Half Full with her friend and co-founder, Max Steets. Glass Half Full is a glass recycling and processing facility in New Orleans, Louisiana. In fact, it is the only glass recycling facility in New Orleans. The company collects and sorts used glass, then converts it into a range of sand products, for example, superfine beach-like sand to sand gravel. What can we use this glass sand for, you might wonder? Well, this glass sand can actually replace natural sand in coastal restoration, disaster relief, and construction projects. Not only is she an eco-entrepreneur, she also leverages her 259,000 TikTok followers to share sustainability tips and some glass recycling behind the scenes. She's recently shared her experience at the One Young World Summit in Manchester, England, and is now here with us today to talk about glass, sand, TikTok, and the climate crisis. Welcome, Francesca. Thanks so much for joining. Where are you, where are you joining us from? Thanks for having me. I'm joining from New Orleans, Louisiana, and I hope that this podcast airs soon because I'm about to turn 25. <laughs> Whoa! Does that make you a gazennial? Yeah, it makes me really old. <laughs> uh, let's not talk about age because that will make me feel really old. But hey, your best <laughs> years are in front of you. Believe me. Okay. Actually, that's a lie. Your best years are behind you. University was the best. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> but uh, no, I mean, I'm sure you're going to be doing amazing things. So what got you started with Glass Half Full? I mean, you're pretty young. Most university students are busy getting their degrees and you know playing sports what made you get into this fairly let's let's be blunt it's a fairly uh boring topic glass <laughs> recycling we make recycling fun um i think it it really started at a young age um growing up in louisiana not really having access to much recycling especially glass recycling and then once I got to college, my co-founder, Max, who's originally from New York City, had more of an idea of what should be recycled and, and how much recycling should be happening. And so together, we hatched this plan to solve the problem that we saw, which was that no glass was being recycled in New Orleans and it could be turned into sand, which we need more of. So it felt like a very simple solution obviously it wasn't that easy to actually get it done but it felt pretty straightforward and so we just kind of jumped into it and tell us a little bit about how the glass that you collect gets converted into sand so we collect glass two ways one through our free drop-off program where anyone can bring us their glass and then one through our paid pickup programs we pick up from residents businesses like bars and restaurants and then once it, once it reaches our facility, we will put it into our pulverizing system. 
Um, we just kind of dump it into a hopper and then the machine does just about everything. Um, it crushes it up. It's able to separate any contamination like metal caps, corks, labels are also separated by the machine. And then it's sifted into different sizes. So from a very fine sand up to a small gravel size. Wow. And you and your co-founder, Max, came up with all of this? Or was he doing more of the design and you were doing more of the, the ideation? How, how do you split the, the workload here? Yeah. So I studied chemical engineering. Um, so I was more on the engineering side, on the research of the uses of the sand. And Max has a lot of business experience, so he's more on the business side and the operations. But actually, the reason we felt so compelled to start this and that we could do it is because the machines were already out there. There were already machines that could turn glass into sand. And so that really enabled us to start this whole thing. We were like, if there's machines out there turning glass into sand, we can collect glass and we can use the sand. So boom. <laughs> boom. And I love uh, this idea of turning waste into wealth. You know, I think I, I've done a lot in biofuels and we're now working with startups in the upcycling plastic space and collecting waste plastic and converting it. If you can get it right, it's, it's just the, the, the upsides are just tremendous. Um, so from a business point of view, how do you intend to monetize this? Is it, is it a profitable venture, this, or is it more of a social enterprise, Glass Health Ball? So we are a social enterprise, so we're always putting our impact before trying to make profit, um, but we are sustaining ourselves through our own revenue. And most of our revenue actually comes from our pickup services. So we charge um, people who want to pay. Um, to pick up their glass from their door, um, either at their home or at their business. And then we always have a free option as well for people who don't want to pay. But that's really how we fund the majority of what we do. So then we're able to utilize our sand for things that are more charitable or impact driven, like disaster relief and coastal restoration. Fantastic. So what would be the amount that an average household would pay to have that glass picked up by your organization? Yeah, we charge residents $25 a month. Okay, and can you divulge roughly how many households have signed up? We have over a thousand signed up. Wow, yeah. amazing. Yeah. Good on you. Thank you. <laughs> and this is all while you're still at college or have you left college? No, I graduated in two years ago. Oh, okay. Almost two years ago, December, 2020. Right, I have to redo my intro then. Uh, <laughs> sorry about that. So you you graduated and you're basically spending most of your time on this on this social enterprise. Yes, all my time. Fantastic. So can you tell us a little bit more about the need here? What's the actual need to convert the glass into the sand? Why is there a problem? Surely we have gazillions of tons of sand. Ah, <laughs> we have gazillions of tons of some sand, mostly very fine sand. So, for example, in the desert, that's, um, you know, wind rounded sand. So it's a little too fine. It's a little too round. What we really need for most applications of sand, which includes building, so things like concrete and also for coastal restoration, is a coarser, more angular sand. 
And so that's really the type of sand we're running out of globally. Um, we're in a global sand shortage of that kind of coarser, more angular sand that's used in building, that's used in coastal restoration, um, that's used in what we need sand for. And so that's the cool thing about recycled glass sand is that you can really create it um, and mold it into whatever size you need. Um, so we are able to create a coarse sand, which is extremely useful and beneficial for coastal restoration and protection projects. Mm. It's fascinating, isn't it? That um, you would think that something as abundant as sand could actually, you know, we could have uh, a scarcity of it, or at least the right kind of sand. So a little stat here that China ranks first and India ranks second in terms of sand use between 2011 and 2014. China poured more concrete, largely made up of sand, than the whole of the, well, than the US did combined throughout the 20th century. That's just mind boggling. So I guess with the, the huge growth in, in developing countries, uh, that the demand for this kind of sand is just uh, exploding. Uh, exponentially. And, and in fact, the, the global rate of sand use, according to the research, has tripled over the last two decades. So you're in the right business. <laughs> sand. <laughs> sand. So how, how can you scale this so that one obviously is profitable because the profit incentive is a great driver of change and, and, and growth. But secondly, how can you scale it from a mechanical engineering point of view so that, you know, thousands or maybe hundreds of thousands of households could be doing this and producing the conc the sand that they need for construction in their local areas, for example. Yeah, so we are starting in New Orleans to basically build out a model that could be replicated across the world. And we're still sort of perfecting that model. You know, what what is the true startup cost? Because we did a lot of trial and error. We also did a lot of bootstrapping. You know, we didn't get paid for almost a year, things like that. So what does it truly cost to start up a glass recycling organization in a city. Um, and, and we're figuring that out now. And then simultaneously, we're expanding to create a glass recycling facility that can handle the glass for the entire state of Louisiana. So we're kind of doing both of these things simultaneously to say, um, eventually we'll have this model that can be replicated on a smaller scale. And then also while building out this model that's functioning on a much larger scale, something to the tune of 60,000 tons a year um, of glass being recycled into sand. And then additionally, putting in the work to do the research on what can this really be used for? So we're mostly focusing on coastal restoration because there are so many cities, coastal cities worldwide that don't have glass recycling and that need sand for coastal restoration. So that's sort of our niche. Um, you know, like we mentioned, another big use for sand is concrete. Um, we're not necessarily doing all of the research for using the sand in concrete. I know there is some research out there saying, oh, it can be used for this type of concrete, not necessarily this type. So I think someone else has got to take that on and, and, and do that research to be able to use it in more landlocked cities that need glass recycling and that need sand for concrete. So you're really focused on the coastal restoration which is obviously very relevant to you. You live in Louisiana, the storms, the flooding, it's all happening. Mississippi, we've seen recently has had extensive flooding. Um, so ha have you actually been affected by you know, climate-related flooding or storms? Absolutely. Um, my entire life, you know, we've been threatened by hurricanes. 
we've had some pretty major ones, especially in New Orleans, first Katrina and then Ida. Um, and especially with Ida, due to climate change, it was able to intensify so rapidly that people really weren't able to get prepared. You know, it was like, oh, there might be a hurricane coming. And then within three days, it was, you know, category four, get ready. It's going to be intense. And then we also lost power. There were so many aspects of that storm that that really showed the issues that we have um, in this city and throughout Louisiana. But yeah, climate change is, is certainly affecting my daily life. Have you ever been in a situation where you've been scared or you had your life endangered by the floods or the storms? Not necessarily flooding yet. I'm really blessed to live in a part of the city that traditionally does not flood, um, but that could change in moments, truly, here in, in New Orleans. Um, I was certainly very scared in my home when Hurricane Ida hit. Um, I've also had you know, instances growing up where we've had hurricanes. Generally, what I've dealt with is a loss of power and electricity, um, which is can be scary, but you get over it. You learn how to cook with a little fire and eat dry goods. <laughs> a survivalist. You have to be prepped. Are you a bit of a doomsday prepper? Do you have? Like I am a- not. I'm honestly so bad at prepping. I'm actually looking at my. There's a hurricane that may be coming in near uh, Louisiana in the next like 10 days. And I'm like looking at my hurricane box, like I need to check if I have batteries, like all of these things. Um, I need to start saving water. Yeah. I'm, I'm generally not very good at that. <laughs> so just as a side note, let's say you didn't have anything else. What would be your desert Island desk? I mean, that's a bit old school for a millennial or Gen Z like you. Uh, but what's what's your gen what's your desert island desk or your your stream on Spotify that you have to have downloaded before the power cuts out? Oh, like a show or yeah. What would you let's say you had two hours left on your iPhone? What are you gonna What are you gonna play on there? <laughs> That's a great question. Um, maybe I'd play Survivor. You know, learn some 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 you know, skills that I need to survive the rest of my life on this island. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love, got to love that show. Survivor is is uh, just a never-ending classic. The, the, the gift that keeps on giving just goes Truly. on and on and on. So just going back to, to glass then, is there enough glass to create enough sand for the projects that you're focused on? I, I mean, there's a lot of coastline in the US, but is there enough glass that can be recycled to actually make a difference? Or is this more that's, of a proof of concept? That's a great question. Um, to the first question, is there enough glass to replace the sand needed for coastal restoration or you know, um, to be used for all the coastal restoration that needs to be done in the state? No. The point is that we are running out of usable sand. Glass sand is one key solution to that problem, but it's just one solution to this problem. You know, it's going to be a multifaceted solution that requires convergence of all types of ideas, all types of solutions, scientists, engineers coming together to solve this issue of not only the sand shortage, but also of coastal restoration. And Mm. we just believe that glass sand is one of those solutions that can work and that can help. Um, To your second question, it can definitely make an impact. We're already seeing the impact that it's making. We've done two coastal restoration projects that otherwise likely would not have been done. 
um, because we're a very grassroots organization. We're able to get to spots that um, organizations like the Army Corps or the government wouldn't necessarily go to because they're smaller, more community focused. Um, and so we're definitely able to make an impact. And then, of course, as we scale up, we'll be able to make an even bigger impact with the amount of sand we're able to bring and the amount of coastline we're able to protect. Uh, that's fantastic. And what what would be your number one kind of like need at the moment? Like, are you looking for investment? How do how does the average person or the one of our listeners help you guys out, expand your operations or scale what you're doing? Yeah, the number one thing we're looking for right now is money. Um, we have bootstrapped our way to where we are now to be able to sustain ourselves on our own revenue, but we really need an influx of capital to be able to build out that bigger facility and really start to make a much bigger impact in terms of scale. And for that, we're looking to, you know, foundations for grants, we're looking to investors, we're looking at banks for loans, um, a lot of different sources of revenue to be able to make that happen. Fantastic. That's something that maybe we can help you with, but at the end, maybe we can get your details. And so if anyone wants to get in touch with you, they can, they can reach out. Yes. Uh, just for the, going back to the, to the glass, because it's actually very interesting. Again, I just think most people just can't get around this concept, but we're running out of sand. So where do people get sand? Where does construction get sand from right now? How are we extracting sand for for these kinds of projects? And does that have a negative impact on the environment? Yeah. So um, a lot of the ways we get sand, especially in coastal areas, is from our waterways. So either from rivers, riverbeds, or from the ocean. So like a lot of beaches in Florida will literally dredge off the coast of the beach, dredge up from the bottom of the ocean, take sand, and then put it on the beach. And then it just gets washed away, and then they dredge again. And that obviously disrupts a lot of ecosystems, a lot of organisms that live at the bottom of the ocean or even in the ocean, you know, disrupting the water column when all the sand comes up. Um, and a lot of places in Louisiana and some inland places, it's more like dried up riverbeds. So you're not really disturbing as much of the environment as when you're dredging literally in the ocean or literally in the river that is still flowing. Um, so there's different ways to do it, but in general, dredging, mining, extracting resources, as we know, is is not really a good thing for the environment. Absolutely not. I can imagine. I mean, I I would hate to think about the amount of damage is done to the riverbeds, uh, dredging all the sand out of the waterways. Um, it's horrific to think about. Uh, Let's talk a little bit about the glass versus plastic debate. Glass in the US is not recycled as much as it is in the, in Europe. In the US, only 33% of glass is recycled. In Europe, it's 76%. Uh, but there is a debate, ongoing debate about, is glass a better alternative to using plastic, say for plastic bottles for, wa for water? Is glass better? And if so, why is it better? So like I said, I'm definitely biased towards glass. Um, I do believe glass is better than plastic. Um, the first reason being that plastic is made from oil. And so in order to create that plastic, you're emitting so many greenhouse gases, many toxins. Um, and we see that firsthand in Louisiana. We have a place called Cancer Alley because it has the highest rate of cancer. Um, 
in the US, I believe, or one of the highest in the US, definitely the highest in Louisiana, um, because they live near so many refineries and also plastic manufacturers. Um, and so that is just emitting so many toxic fumes, um, you know, poisoning our environment, poisoning our, our health. Um, and that's due to plastic production, whereas glass is made from more um, materials like sand. <laughs> and um, so when glass breaks down, it turns back into sand, um, which is already a naturally occurring element. Whereas when plastic breaks down, it turns into microplastics because it takes so much longer to degrade. And that just ends up poisoning our environment, harming fish, harming wildlife. Um, whereas glass just turns into a much more inert material. So it's non-reactive. Um, it won't harm fish and wildlife unless it's left to be very sharp, which can be an issue. But when disposed properly, um, it can be turned back into sand or back into new bottles. That's the other main benefit of glass is that it's 100% recyclable. So when you're turning it back into new bottles, it doesn't lose any of its quality you can recycle it over and over again and still get glass, um, whereas plastic can only be downcycled. So it's degraded every time you try to turn it back into a plastic bottle, which um, obviously then you can only go so far with that. So personally, I think glass is better. I think obviously there are some downsides to glass, especially with how much um, energy is required to create it due to how much you have to heat it up. And also how heavy it is. So if you're shipping it really far distances, then obviously you're emitting a lot of um, CO2 if you're driving with trucks. But this is another reason we should just go electric. Um, but yeah, shipping can be a really big issue with glass just because of how heavy it is. But in an ideal world, you think that we should have much more glass bottles of liquids, for example, for consumable liquids or products versus plastic. And that's something that could be implemented now. Or if it isn't, why isn't it? Is it a cost thing? Why, why do companies use plastic versus glass? Is it because of price? Is it because of weight? Yeah, plastic is generally cheaper. So if um, the product inside is not extremely important, isn't the right word. But for example, wine is almost always in glass because the wine needs to be preserved and they want it to be preserved and, and glass is good at doing that. It also doesn't interfere with taste at all. Whereas when you get into plastics and aluminum, you start maybe getting some um, residual taste issues, um, other issues with storing it, um, but plastic is cheaper. I do think aluminum sits right there in the middle where aluminum is also 100% recyclable. It's lighter. Um, it's probably cheaper than glass. And so I think aluminum is a great option, especially for things like water. Um, there's no reason water needs to be in plastic. That could easily be in aluminum. Same thing like sodas and Cokes and things like that can all easily be in aluminum and then we can keep our wine in the glass. That's right. I mean, I've seen a few aluminum uh, packaged mineral water brands recently. And you think, why not? Why haven't we done this before? I think yeah. the whole plastic water bottle, uh, you know, insanity that we're in right now is going to be one of the greatest um, mistakes of, of our century, of our generation. It, it just, it's mind boggling how stupid it is. Not just plastic bottles, but plastic usage in general. Um, 
possible for silly things like plastic bags and so forth. But anyway, today we're talking about glass, not plastic, <laughs> but we reckon, we reckon glass is a better alternative to, uh, to, to plastic. And the benefit, of course, and what you're tackling is you can then repurpose it and, and turn it into to sand, which helps stop storms and alleviate flooding uh, uh, and related uh, issues. So the, I guess the thing is like, if the US is only recycling 33% of, of plastic, I mean, of, of glass, that's your opportunity, right? It, so it's actually a good thing that the government doesn't recycle glass that much for you. I mean, we would have preferred if we were doing it well, you know, from the beginning, from when I was a child. But now that we're in this space, I guess it's a good thing. Yeah, there's a lot of opportunity. Fantastic, which is great. I mean, as a green entrepreneur, I think that's a fantastic opportunity. Even you take a few percentage points out of that, you know, you have a huge uh, available market. A quick word about our sponsor for this episode. Our Future Nature is brought to you today by Authentic Gallery. Authentic Gallery makes buying and collecting stunning and impactful art easy with a high percentage of proceeds of every purchase going towards vetted partner charities. If you want to buy art and contribute to an impactful cause, well, check out Authentic Gallery, spelled A-W-E-T-H-E-N-T-I-C, gallery.com. And as a very special treat to my listeners, you can use the discount code OFN2022, that's OFN2022, to receive 10% off all of my limited edition prints. So visit Authentic Gallery now to start browsing. Thanks very much. Yep. Just talking about when we were younger there, when I was younger in England, the milkman used to come and drop off the, the milk bottles and you would drink the milk and you'd leave the milk bottles outside and then they would be reused. And of course, that all stopped, uh, probably for cost reasons, but it's such a simple system. Uh, and yet one which we ha we haven't implemented properly. And I guess that's what you're trying to achieve, that idea of like use the glass and then give it back and then it can be repurposed. Yeah, I agree. I think um, one of the only places still doing that is Germany. Um, and they do it pretty well, although it requires a lot of work, you know, on the consumer side, which I think is the biggest issue. I don't know about England, but the biggest issue in the US is the consumer is lazy. Um, in Germany, they're able to get it done just because it's so ingrained in the culture, you know, okay, the beer bottles are returned for, uh, to get money back, but the wine bottles have to be put in the different bins separated by color. Like there's so many different rules. It's amazing to see. Um, but I don't know that that's possible to do everywhere. Yeah. It's a cultural thing as in, as you know, in Asia, certain parts of Asia in Taiwan, and Japan, they have a huge rate of recycling because that's just what they've been doing for years and the government's very strict about it. So it becomes second nature. But to the, to the average family, I can imagine it's a lot of, lot of hassle to recycle. I mean, in England, we're not great at it either. So uh, can't really point the fingers at anyone. But anyway, <laughs> we, can, we can all do better is the point. Yes. So just wanted to talk about a little bit about your activism and your use of uh, TikTok and social media. Uh, and you've been doing this very successfully. You have 259,000 followers on TikTok and your account is EcoFran. Um, and I've seen some of your videos that they're great. Is, is TikTok really a, a viable channel to make change happen? Or is it just more like, oh, this is cute. You know, EcoFran's recycling glass. Do you find that you're actually 
people are changing the way they do things by watching your videos? A hundred percent. I wouldn't necessarily go so far as saying from watching my videos, but I think change happens on TikTok. Um, the trends start on TikTok. Like TikTok is the place, as much as the older generations don't want to admit it, TikTok is the place where things are happening. Um, and yeah, I think I'm able to see it firsthand because people will literally comment and say like, hey, you're the reason I reached out to my city council and asked what's done with our glass recycling. Um, and now like I'm, I'm going down this rabbit hole or like you're the reason I actually think about what I'm putting in my recycling bin and things like that. So I think even if it's maybe on a smaller scale for my audience, I'm definitely making a change. And then TikTok, TikTok as a whole is, is certainly influencing culture and, and change, especially around the environment. Yeah, for a lot of people over the age of 40, I won't name anyone. But uh, <laughs> for us boomers, uh, TikTok is this, you know, really, really scary thing run by the Chinese. And, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's very politicized at the moment. In fact, the US government is, is looking at ways of curtailing its, its reach and the algorithms. Um, and I remember when Instagram was that sort of weird beast and that became normalized. So I'm sure TikTok will become the normal or it already is the norm for, for children and, and, you know, adults under 30. Uh, so that, that's interesting. 30, maybe that's a bit old, but it's interesting that you find that TikTok actually, people do actually change their behaviors from watching these videos. How, how do you come up? Do you come up with a strategy for it? Or do you think, oh, this is a good way of doing this video? Or just, you just let it flow. Like, you know, how, how do you conceptualize these videos? I generally let it flow. Um, that's been my, that's been my strategy thus far. Um, especially because we started on TikTok, just sharing our story, sharing our journey. And I think we gained a community on TikTok because of how honest we were how open and like just like raw you know nothing was edited too much or um anything like that we didn't have a fancy camera it was all just iphone video and then editing within tiktok um and i think that's what that's what makes tiktok pretty special for the most part is that it's very casual very honest you feel like you could watch a video and feel like you're talking to your friend um because people are just very honest. And I think that's, that's really been my strategy and specifically showing my journey of being an entrepreneur and trying to make change in my community and trying to um, educate people on why it's important to recycle and climate change and environmental issues and things like that. You mentioned that it's very honest, which is true. I mean, it, it can come across as very genuine, I guess, is the difference, right? It's not polished. Instagram tends to be more polished and look how amazing I am. I, I find that TikTokers is just a bit more, a bit more like, Hey, what's up? This is what I'm at. This is what I'm doing. You either yes. like it or you don't. <laughs> I guess the flip side of that is that there is a lot of misinformation out there. Have you had any problems with, with, you know, misinformation, um, trolling on TikTok? Yeah. Misinformation is a really big issue there because, and I think this is part of the reason why a lot of older people are scared of TikTok is because things can blow up so quickly. Something can get 20 million views. It's like unimaginable how many people are watching the same video. Um, that was just not possible really before TikTok. Um, 
And so, and that can have negative effects. There's actually a whole drama going on right now about this girl who completely lied about this story she told on TikTok, um, only to realize that it was like secretly an ad for something. And so the whole TikTok community feels completely lied to. That thing got like 10 million views and people were really invested in the story. And it turned out to be a complete lie, all just to like advertise for some company. Um, And so it can definitely have its its downsides in terms of misinformation, especially around um, the environment as well. Um, We, you know, it just came out that the oil and gas companies were intentionally um, lying about what they knew in terms of the effects of oil and gas on the environment. And so we can certainly see that playing out on TikTok as well. Yeah, it's insane how these companies got away with it for so long. Uh, it's only now just coming to light. So yeah, no, it's interesting how this kind of people power on TikTok can be used in such effective ways and in a low budget way. I think that's what's amazing about it. Like you're a 24 year old, about to turn 25. Uh, you're a 24 year old <laughs> who's making great change happen. I mean, in the old days, I used to have to do TV shows and get a whole crew out. We have to go to the country and film something. And of course, that that's not really that sustainable, both from a cost and you know from an energy carbon usage point of view. So no, good, good on you for that. So your recommendation would be anyone who wants to make change happen, get on TikTok. Yes, <laughs> that's the moral of the story. If you want to make change, you got to be on TikTok. No, it's not a requirement, but it's, it's strongly encouraged. Fantastic. Um, we saw on your link tree as well that you also have petitions for end the Mountain Valley pipeline and stop the use of plastic bags and target a Walmart. So, you know, again, what do you think the everyday person, this is with relation to big companies greenwashing, what can the actual individual do to make change happen? Or does big change have to come for big corporations and governments? Can individual actions actually make a difference? Oh, I'm a huge proponent of individual action, but specifically individual action that builds community and that builds a movement. So for example, um, Glass Half Full, in its inception was truly individual action. It was two individuals who decided to do something about a problem that we saw in our community. Um, But eventually we built a community around it. And now we've recycled over two and a half million pounds of glass just because individuals decided to take action. So I'm obviously a huge proponent of individual action that it can make a difference. Um, You know, in regards to petitions, a lot of people feel like petitions don't really do anything. They don't make a big difference, but really historically we've seen that they do they do work um but again it's individual action that builds that community and that results in you know millions of people signing a petition that actually brings awareness to an issue and makes you know someone in government or someone higher up really listen absolutely i'm well said um the you know, we going back to the greenwashing, 76 permission, 76% of emissions come from energy and the energy companies for our heating, fuel, electricity. So we have to have that balance of individual action, but also putting pressure on the big corporates through government to, to try and trim them. And right now, of course, we're having record energy profits uh, with the big, big fossil fuel companies. So I guess what I'm trying to say is like, we, we need the individual action because we can't just rely on government. 
Um, right. Yeah. As an American, do you feel that the government's doing enough to tackle climate change and putting enough pressure on, on, um, you know, the corporations? I mean, I, the Biden, Biden administration just pushed through a, a massive bill, but it may not be enough. What, what's your thought as a young American? on this yeah i'd say before the inflation reduction act i would have said they're not doing anything they're not doing anything at all they don't even care but after the inflation reduction act i'd say we're starting to do something there's the government is starting to really realize how serious this is and take action i agree that the inflation reduction act is not enough there's still you know, items in that bill that include expanding fossil fuel, you know, companies and fossil fuel leases, um, which is obviously an issue, especially for frontline communities. And so it's definitely not enough, but it was a huge step. And that made me feel, it gave me a lot more hope than I had before the Inflation Reduction Act. Great. And of course, your, your social enterprise is called Glass Half Full. If I had founded one, it would be glass half empty. You know, that's just my take <laughs> on the world. <laughs> so, um, but how, how do you see, you know, as a young, again, a young American coming into the, you know, coming to this working phase of your life, are you optimistic uh, or do you have a lot of eco-anxiety uh, or do you think that the world is going to come to an end? Like, what's your general outlook? My general outlook is glass half full, whether it's because of the name or I had it before, I'm not sure, but I do remain glass half full. I, I know there are issues. Um, there are, you know, climate change effects that are literally impacting my daily life, like hurricanes and flooding and a weakened infrastructure due to a reliance on fossil fuels, um, all of the above. and. So I understand the issues that we face, but I do truly believe that, number one, we have the solutions. Um, we have so many solutions to solve the problems that we see, and we know what needs to be done. It's just a matter of doing it. And so that goes back to individual action and building community around making the changes that we know need to happen. And so that's why I stay glass half full. Very inspiring. So trigger warning, does your gender, you think, equip you better to be a social entrepreneur uh, or a conservationist or a green entrepreneur, if you like, say, versus uh, a traditional um, heterosexual male? Or does it not make a difference to you? That's a great question. I think it definitely makes a difference, certainly. I think there are pros and cons. The cons being that maybe the people who are still in charge, which are generally white cis men, don't take me as seriously or may not respect me as much if, you know, I was a male. Um, but there are obviously benefits, which is that women are better leaders, in my opinion. Mm. No, <laughs> um, yeah. We have, yeah, I think women have a history of, of building community really well and um, being able to understand better um, the differences in in people and respecting and encouraging the differences and diversity and things like that. So I think there are pros and cons, but in general, I think I think of course the pros outweigh the cons. And um, so far, I haven't had too many negative experiences as a, as a woman in this space. Fantastic! A lot of the work that we do is encouraging 
uh, female leadership, especially in conservation. And uh, I, I agree with you. I do think uh, women tend to be better leaders or at least more holistic leaders than um, your typical white cis individual. But let's, we dipped into that. We're just going to come out of that that topic, but I just <laughs> wanted to get you taken it. I think it's fantastic that you as, as a woman are, you know, taking a lead in this, uh, this particular area. Um, and I, I've worked with a lot of female entrepreneurs who are doing similarly great things. So just coming back to the flooding issue in Louisiana and, you know, we, we talked a lot about in Mississippi, uh, talking about the, the global patriarchy and bias, Pakistan in the last few months has had nearly 32 million people displaced. Uh, 1.7 million homes have been destroyed and more than 1,300 people killed and nearly a third of it's still underwater. But you hardly see any mention of it on the global media. Uh, so I just wanted to get your take on why do you think that is? Uh, obviously, there's, there's Western media bias, uh, but something is as catastrophic as that happening in a very large country um, it should be picking up, should be ringing a lot of alarm bells, but the Western media seems to be um, obsessed with other topics at the moment. So I just wanted to see if you had any thoughts on that. I have a lot of thoughts. Um, number one being you need to get on TikTok because TikTok <laughs> is covering this. TikTok is talking about this, whether it is, you know, Western TikTokers um, talking about the issues and why it's happening and what is happening, or whether it's literally people on the front lines, you know, showing their experiences or showing what's happening. Um, TikTok is covering it, which I, again, I think is so interesting that the young people do care. Um, and especially young people on social media do care and do want to share these stories and, and educate people on why this is happening. Um, personally, and I think a lot of other young people do not watch traditional news anymore. We've sort of given up on it in a sense. I mean, we've seen over and over that it does not share the true issues happening globally. I mean, even in the U.S., I, I, I have talked about Hurricane Ida a lot during this, but Hurricane Ida in September of 2021 devastated much of Southern Louisiana. And it was a huge issue because of climate change. It accelerated so quickly because of climate change. And we're seeing the same things happening in Pakistan. And um, the mainstream media covered it for maybe one day, like the mm -hmm. day that it happened. Um, and then it was sort of forgotten. But our recovery took months. Like New Orleans did not have power for 10 days. And we're a major city. Um, you know, more frontline communities on the coast, like the indigenous communities that we work with, didn't have power for months, didn't have water, didn't have so many things. Um, and that wasn't covered either. But TikTok was talking about it and TikTok is talking about Pakistan. So I think it's just interesting, the differences between, um, you know, the Western media and maybe social media and more real-time news. Yeah, it's very interesting. You pull that up. There's a general, how do we describe it? I would say in an inertia, like we see it happening in real time, all these catastrophic climate, climate crisis events that were actually predicted by scientists decades ago are now unfolding before our eyes on media and on social media. And yet, I don't really feel like there's a sense of greater urgency around it. 
how, how does it feel over there? Do you think that people are like, oh, wow, half third of Pakistan's underwater. We got storms coming in in Louisiana. Puerto Rico ran out of, you know, it was lost all its electricity due to another storm. Like, is there a growing sense of urgency for your generation, do you think? Or is it just like, oh, business as usual, we'll fix it tomorrow kind of thinking or feeling, shall we say? Yeah, I think from my generation's perspective, we definitely understand the urgency. We see how quickly we need to act. I think my generation is definitely not the problem. I think it's the generations in charge who are dragging their feet, who don't want to lose profit, who don't want to lose power, um, et cetera, et cetera, who are the ones not doing what needs to be done. I think my generation understands what needs to be done. And that's why in a lot of cases, we're just going right past the government, going right past the big corporations, making change ourselves. Um, you know, for example, with Glass Half Full, we, we sort of had a feeling that the government wasn't going to do anything anytime soon. And so we decided to just do it ourselves. And a lot of younger generations, I think, are, are doing the same. Fantastic. Would you say that profit is compatible with conscious capitalism? Can businesses make profit in a sustainable way? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, I truly think to get totally out of this climate crisis, we, we have to shift away from capitalism. Um, capitalism fuels overconsumption. It fuels extraction of resources. It fuels so many things. And I do think you know, if you take my business, for example, we have projections that show that we can make a profit, but our goal is always to put impact first. And so really what we're doing with the profit is investing that into impact so that truly we don't actually see that much profit because we just keep further investing that into making a bigger impact. And so I do not think that extreme profit should continue to occur and prevail. I think greed is one of the things that is really holding us back from um, tackling climate change. And I think you're spot on with that. So how do we curtail greed? How do we end greed? Because it is, <laughs> is, like isn't it, <laughs> you know, just getting, getting away from making change happen, the, the bedrock, the, the, the foundation of all these problems is greed and always wanting, wanting human nature's desire to have more and to have more than someone else. Um, we're hierarchical beings uh, from that perspective. So how do we change that? I mean, that's a, that's, that's, you, a th that, that's a big question. I don't know if we have time to fix this problem right here, right now on this interview, <laughs> but yeah, if you had it, have you had any thoughts on like, how do we, how do we change you? Cause what you just said is absolutely right. We have to change the system. Yeah. But what's the third way? We don't want to be communists. We, we don't want to be extreme capitalists. Is there a third way that we can all sign up to? And I, I think what you're doing is the third way, like creating the, that foundation for a third way. Can we get corporations to really sign off on that and say, we're willing to make less profit as long as it does good? Ooh, I don't know. Um, in terms of big corporations that are already out there, they might be too far gone. Um, they might be too, you know, that, I think that's what we're seeing with oil and gas, is especially my generation. Um, a lot of older people um, 
you know, and oil and gas is huge here in Louisiana. A lot of older people will say, oh, well, they're working on transitioning. You know, they're working on investing in more renewable energy and eventually transitioning. But I think my generation is like too little, too late. We don't care if you're going to transition. You're always going to be focused on making the most profit that you can. Because really the only reason these oil and gas companies are starting to transition to renewable energy is because they know that the money is no longer in oil and gas. It's going to be in wind. It's going to be in solar. And so really their motivation is to go make more money and continue to be able to make money. And I think a lot of us see that as like, see through that and understand that they are never going to change. They're always going to want profit. And so I think we really have to invest in new infrastructure, new leaders that do believe in putting impact first um, and, you know, overhauling that system. So you might've read in the news recently, Pat, the Patagonia founder, Yvonne Trunard, I can never pronounce his name properly, but he <laughs> turned his, basically gave away all profits from his company uh, or all the company to fight Earth's climate devastation. Um, and the quote was, as of now, Earth is our only shareholder, which I thought was brilliant. All profits in perpetuity will go to our mission to save our home planet. I thought that was really an amazing, amazing gift, uh, but also sets an example. So hopefully that inspires more social enterprises or more B Corp types of businesses to, to, to do better. I mean, maybe Patagonia is someone you can go and approach. <laughs> yeah, no, I think it's amazing news, but I do, yeah, I do worry that it's so much money and that that might still remain, you know, within more wealthy people, within more connected organizations, as opposed mm. to getting to those frontline communities and getting to those organizations who are really putting in the work. Um, so I, I do hope it, it goes to those organizations, but either way, I think it's, it's incredible news and it's definitely something that other leaders should follow. Absolutely. So we're just going to ask a, a slightly uh, different question here. I just want to round off this uh, episode with some top tips from you as a young uh, female entrepreneur or social entrepreneur. What would you say are your top three tips for someone wanting to make a change or create their own social enterprise or impact-driven business? Yeah, my first tip is to not be afraid if you don't have all the answers. Um, if you don't have what you think is the right degree, if you haven't studied what you're trying to change. Um, you know, I started Glass Half Full without having any recycling knowledge, without knowing, you know, how glass recycling generally works, anything really. I learned everything along the way. All I had was an idea, a solution to a problem that I saw and something I was passionate about. And so don't be afraid to jump in and start if you don't think you have the right tools and the right answers. Um, the second is to always, always reach out to your community, reach out to the community you're trying to help, reach out to the community you're trying to work in, um, because the more people you can get involved and the, the bigger community you can build, the more successful you'll be always, 100%. And the third would probably be to, once you've built that community, don't be afraid to ask for help. Um, don't be afraid to admit that you're wrong or that you're stuck or that you don't know what to do because there are people out there who will want to help you especially if you, if you put in the work on the front end in building that community around solving this problem. How old are you again? 
almost 25. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Spoken like a real, real wise, uh, spoken like someone many years, your senior, very, very wise uh, tips there. Who do you look up to when, or who do you learn from? I mean, you speak very eloquently and, and wisely. Like, is there someone that mentors you or do you take inspiration from leaders? That's a good question. Um, not really. We have at Glass Half Full, we have a group of incredible advisors. And to my point about building community, we've built a really incredible community around trying to get glass recycling in Louisiana for coastal restoration. And so I've had, I've been surrounded by incredible advisors who want to see this happen and want to help. And so I've always just been able to humble myself and know that I'm never the smartest person in the room and that I can always learn something from these incredible advisors that we have and ask for help when I need it. Fantastic. And so just asking for help now from our listeners, uh, what would you require help with? You mentioned before a little bit of investment. What are the sort of two or three things that you need help with? How can we help you? Yeah. um, Money is the big one right now, but in terms of the research, we're trying to expand to other parts of the world. And so my thing lately has been, if you think that recycled glass sand could be a solution for your coastal community, reach out and send me a sand sample so we can compare your sand to recycled glass sand and see if it's a possibility. I never thought I'd be so excited about a sand sample comparison. For anyone listening out there, let's get some sand comparisons going. How do they get in touch with you? Oh, my email is absurdly long. It's Francisca, my first name, at glasshalfullnola.org. Um, but I always look at my Instagram DMs as well. So you can hit me up on Instagram, Franziska or glasshalfullnola. Either of those, I check them. Fantastic. And one final question. What do you say to the naysayers? I'm sure you get people who say, ah, what you're doing is rubbish or you're trying to make money out of doom. I mean, how do you cope with, with any kind of criticism? Because there will be, and there's always, there's always someone saying something on TikTok or Instagram. Yeah, it definitely depends on my mood of the day. Sometimes I will address them and I'll be like, you're wrong. These are the reasons. Always very calmly, but I'm very good at laying out the reasons why this person is wrong. Um, or I'll just ignore them. Um, I've, I've gotten pretty thick skin since joining TikTok. It's something you definitely have to do if you want to work in that space. Um, and so I've, I've become pretty good at, at ignoring them. Right. And final question. This may not relate to what we just talked about, but I wanted to ask it earlier. What's your, what's your take on the Chinese or the Communist Party running TikTok? And does that, does that scare you in any way? Um, it, it has the potential to scare me. Um, it doesn't scare me now. Um, I think TikTok in general is still, you know, mostly dominated by the algorithm. And I didn't read too much into this drama, but I believe when the whole thing came about where Trump wanted to like cancel TikTok and not have it in the U.S., they created a TikTok that is run in the U.S., Um, and so I think there's a bit more oversight now in terms of like the U S TikTok, um, and managing that whole relationship. But I do think it could be concerning. Um, but for now I don't feel affected by it. Great. 
Thank you. So, uh, Francisca, thanks so much. Um, I had a really great time chatting with you and I'm really inspired by what you're doing. I will change my perception to a glass half full and we can all make a difference. And I'm going to create a TikTok account. Uh, but definitely <laughs> let's stay in touch because I would love to chat further offline about how we can help you um, get into other markets, but also maybe with fundraising, um, also bringing other social entrepreneurs are doing similar things in different sectors. Uh, maybe you can combine forces in certain ways. So I would I'd love to carry on the convo um, offline, but thank you so much for joining our future nature. Please remember to share this on your TikTok account. Okay, deal. <laughs> thank you for having me. Thanks so much. And uh, we'll be in touch. Cheers, Francisca, and keep on the great work. Thank you. Cheers then. Bye-bye. Thank you for tuning in to Our Future Nature. Please remember to like and subscribe to keep up with the latest episodes. And if you enjoyed the podcast, it would really help if you could take a minute to leave us a review on Apple or Spotify. Much appreciated. Please follow us on Instagram at Our Future Nature Pod for behind the scenes and extra information. You can also follow me at Shawnee Davis if you want to be updated on the work that I do in green entrepreneurship, advocacy, and conservation. And finally, Our Future Nature was produced and powered by Authentic Studio. Thanks, everyone. See you next time.